Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ina Corio. And I'd like to say that I'm yeah, doing well, but I found out on Wednesday of the 14th that I have COVID. Second time around, Omicron probably this time. And, <clears throat> sorry might do a kind of bit of that. It was worse around this time. Last time was in March in probably Delta. And it was mainly just too much mucus in my head. So I had a lot of post-nasal drip, coughing, and sneezing because of it. And that was it. This time, I think I had digestive systems uh, uh, symptoms first. And then the mucus. And oh my God, I'm drowning in it. It's way worse than before. It's not in my chest. It's in my head. <laughs> no having to go to the hospital or anything, but I have to start taking Sudafed because what I was taking wasn't keeping up with it. Mucinex, um, DM, I think it was. Um, but the Sudafed seems to be doing a little bit better. I take it more often. It's every four hours, so not quite as bad, but still. There are times that I can't hardly breathe and swallow because my sinuses are just dumping so much stuff in my throat that I can't swallow or spit up. It's just awful. And I'm supposed to work from home again tomorrow. I worked from home on Thursday and it was just hard. Even working from home, it was so hard that I called in sick on Friday. So I've been sleeping a lot and resting a lot and trying to drink a lot of water and all that stuff. Um, trying not to uh, infect my cats. My husband took a test and of course, nothing. He's fine. <laughs> Same as last time. I'm hoping I'm on the way out though. It's been, if the digestive systems sy symptoms were part of the COVID, they started on the 12th. Nope, they started on the 5th. The nasal symptoms started on the 12th. So, they've been a whole, almost a whole week at this point. So, I'm hoping that tomorrow evening I can take another test and I'll say negative. Uh, I would just like to breathe normally <laughs> again. That'd be nice. That said, I did say I might continue my podcast here. And read some of my poetry. Now, I think I will do that. But I do want to preface it with some of these poems I wrote when I was a child. I wrote them when I was a teenager. And I wrote them when, you know, I was depressed. At times, some of them, I wrote them when I was really feeling stuff in my home. Um that I grew up in. Uh, so, some of those, they may sound a little immature. That's why. Or they may sound very angsty, full of drama. <laughs> That's why. But some of them are the more recent ones that God gave me, and they are very different. I don't think I'll get through all of them in this episode. What you can't see is the notebook I put them in. And that includes artwork. The beginning page of it, I titled it a long time ago. It's all it's on written on a typewritten page, "Pieces of Me" by Gabrielle Lawson. And it has a picture, a, a drawn pencil-drawn picture of my hand holding a pencil. And I remember that I drew this while I was working at Kmart during Christmas, and I was bored, <laughs> so I just grabbed a piece of paper. And I'd look at my hand and I'd draw a little bit and I'd look at my hand and I'd draw a little bit and look at my hand and draw a little bit. And so that it's my hand as I drew this picture of my hand. The next picture is what I started calling um, sort of a marker pointillism. <laughs> um, I'd learned in French class in high school about um, the Impressionists and pointillism. 
Actually, I learned it all in French. Impersionisme, realisme, romanticisme, romanticisme. I'm getting it kind of wrong, but pointillism, uh, pointillism. <laughs> I learned it all in French, and that was our uh, excuse to go to Chicago to see the Impressionist exhibit at the Art Institute up there. Anyway, pointillism is a bunch of little dots that if you look at it close up, <coughs> if you look at it close up, you can't see the picture. They just look like little dots, but if you step back, the picture comes into focus because all those little dots blend in your eye. And so what I've done here with markers is more like, not dots, but lines, and kind of want them to come into a picture as, um, as you back away. And the difference in my picture is when I draw something from my imagination and when I drew something from looking at something are stark. My imagination does not fill in a lot of the details, so they don't look very real. And that comes into play in my writing. My imagination does not fill in all the details. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, that my ability then to describe things is not the best. I have this knack, though, for making people think I've described things that I haven't. And I always hold up immortal my first Lord of the Rings story by Ina Corriel. Um, as an example, I had people writing me how much they love my descriptions, and I really described very, very, very little of the setting in that story. So they brought a lot of their view uh, in their mind of what a room in Minas Tirith might look like. There was a room. There was a door. Legolas walked through it. There was a bed that Pippin was in. There was a chair that Mary was in. I think he had a blanket on his lap. And there was some water on the table. And there you go. That's the description I gave <laughs> of the room. <laughs> that was it. Um, there was no saying what the walls looked like, what the blankets looked like. You know, how, how Mary looked in the chair, I don't, don't even think was in there. Because <laughs> I just have a hard time seeing it in my mind. I don't, I'm not one of those people who can't see anything. I just don't see clearly. So, um, I might, what I do is I feel. I feel my characters. I hear my characters. I just don't see them so much. I love the Lord of the Rings movies because they gave me visuals for my characters, for the characters I loved. And I read, I saw the movie like three times before I even started the first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, before I even started reading the trilogy. So when I started reading the trilogy, I knew what Gimli looked like. I knew what Legolas looked like. I knew what Bilbo looked like. I knew what Frodo looked like. I knew what Aragorn looked like, etc. They gave me that. Okay, the first poem in here, um, some of them I've written a year that lets you know about when they were written. This one doesn't have one. And this one, I think it was written when I was a teenager. So let's get ready for that. Okay, my first poem in here is called Someone Inside. And it is typewritten, so it's been a while. I didn't have a computer back then. And there's some places where I've used whiteout and typed again. All right. There's a little girl inside of me. She comes out through my tears and the sound of my breaking heart ringing in my ears. She does not come from love lost or one I've never found, nor from seeing others where seeming happiness abounds. She comes from within and everywhere without, but I cannot put it to words to tell what she's about. Sometimes I cry, and no one knows, and in my loneliness the sorrow grows. No one knows how I really feel because I'm always wearing masks. But how can I answer questions that no one ever asks? How can I answer to tell them what is wrong? How do I answer when the story is too long? To find how I really feel, hidden beauty is the key. Simple written words do not well represent me. Look not at my words, but at my rhymes, and see not what you really see, but read between the lines. It's really not a bad poem. 
And Hidden Beauty is in quotes because there's another poem called Hidden Beauty. And Sometimes I Cry is written in um, quotes because there's another, um, another poem called Sometimes I Cry. I did see a typo where how do I answer should have a question mark, but it has a period, so <laughs> there's that. The next picture is actually another one of those pointillisms. You know, get the lines, not well-blended pictures and everything like that. But it's actually from something else. I started finding um, greeting cards and whatnot, and I might draw the picture that's on the greeting card. And so that's what this one is. It's really quite nice. It's like a winter scene, but it's all in blue, and the trees are like a blue-green. Um, they're dis uh, deciduous trees out there. And it's not bad. And the poem here is called Beneath the Gently Falling Snow. And this is a piece of, it's fiction. <laughs> um, so don't worry, nobody died. <laughs> we'll get there though, okay? But it is fiction. How can the birds be singing after what happened today? How can the sun rise when she was taken away? How can the trees keep on growing as if they didn't know? Can't they see where we buried her beneath the gently falling snow? How can the bells toll so high up in the towers? How can time keep passing, counting off the hours? How can there be sunshine? How can there be rain? How can I go on when I'm filled with so much pain? How can life go on? How can the world not care? How can the moon be so golden like the color of her hair? How can there be water flowing and breezes soft as sighs? How can the stars sparkle like the sparkle in her eyes? Are there any answers to the questions in my mind? I keep looking, looking, looking for the answers I can't find. I will never forget her, this much I do know, though she lies in a silent grave beneath the gently falling snow. How can there be morning dew and water in the sea? How can there be happiness when she was taken from me? How can the world be so alive and be so filled with sound? How can I be sad inside when there's gladness all around? There were good times I remember entirely too well. I remember the quiet night and the stories she could tell. I must remember, though she's gone, I will still be here. And though she's far away, part of her will still be near. I know she had no choice, and I know she had to part. So the memories of her I keep here within my heart. And so I say a little prayer before I turn to go and leave her lying here beneath the gently falling snow. Again, not a bad story. The next, or not, not a bad poem, and I guess it's not a bad story because it's, you know, like I said, it's fiction. There was nobody dead that I was writing that about. Um, you might notice a pattern. I rhyme. Um, that became a problem when I took poetry in college, but I'll get to that. The next po po uh, picture is from a greeting card again, and it has a Native American with a horse. And it was very interesting drawing it uh, because I had to do things in colors that I wouldn't do with my logical brain. So the snow on the trees over here is purple and blue, and the mountain is purple and yellow. and um, it was just, and the snow is, is blue with yellow highlights. But I also found out that if you work quickly and you hold a lot of markers in your hand, you can blend the marker, the darker into the lighter, the lighter into the darker, if you work quickly while the, while the marker's still wet. And so the leather on the Native American and some of the things on the horse is very, very interesting. And, and uh, honestly, I think that's done very well. And then I have more of a essay, and I won't get to that. Got another greeting card photo on the next one, and then I've got a more newer poem. And I'm not going to read that yet because I'm sticking with the older ones. Now, this next greeting card, went, the colors went way weird, but I was recreating the greeting card, and it actually comes out beautifully, and I just had to recreate it even though my brain was saying, that's not the color of water, that's not the color of a teepee, the sky wouldn't be like that. <laughs> There's a lot of pinks and yellows and things, and it, it's just, it works in the end, especially if you, you know, step back and look at it, it's beautiful. 
All right, this uh, poem is called Hidden Beauty. It was um, prefaced in that other poem. And I wrote 1986 on it. So I would just be starting high school in 1986. There is beauty in the desert, the sun sunset glittering on the sand. There is beauty in winter with snowflakes in your hand. There is beauty in everyone, and even you and me. There is beauty in everything, though it's sometimes hard to see. There is beauty in older people and the stories they could tell. There is beauty in a child just learning how to spell. There is beauty in a person's face and also hidden down inside. There is beauty in everyone, though it sometimes likes to hide. There is beauty in the past, but in it you cannot dwell. There is beauty in the future, but live for the present as well. There is beauty in people's feelings there that are sometimes revealed through art. There is beauty in each person and found within the heart. There is beauty in success and those that have tried. There is beauty in confidence and having a sense of pride. There is beauty in silence, like curling up with a good book. For all the world is beautiful if you just know where to look. So that was a bit more of a positive one for my teenage years. Another greeting card picture greets me on the other side. This one has some sailboats that are purple and they're out in the water and the land is is in purple and kind of like silhouetted in the back with the the moon up above and birds in the sky. And the poem here says 1988 when looking through a moonbeam just a little ray of moonlight when I'm feeling low when there's darkness all around me a little spot that seems to glow just that little ray of moonlight helps to keep the world living a little ray of moonlight a gift that God is giving a little ray of moonlight when I'm feeling sad a little ray of moonlight and it's not quite as bad a little ray of moonlight when we take the time to see when looking through a moonbeam we see things differently a little ray of moonlight makes the world a little brighter so I can go to sleep now with my heart a little lighter again kind of a hopeful one and the next one is a greeting card picture of just a sailboat which rather normal colors with the land behind in a in a purple again with the, the sky and the water being a lot of blues and purples. And the poem here is another one that was mentioned in the first one, Sometimes I Cry. Sometimes I cry when I'm not even sad. Sometimes I cry only because I'm mad. Sometimes I cry because there's nothing I can do. Sometimes I cry at happy things too. Sometimes I cry only because I care. Sometimes I cry because life just doesn't seem fair. Sometimes I cry for a song that someone wrote, a book I have read, or a not-so-famous quote. Sometimes I cry with the setting of the sun, so little time, so much to be done. Sometimes I cry for a kitten no longer mine, little children going hungry, or would-be heroes that have died. Sometimes I cry for a little furry face, or someone who tried to make the world a better place. Sometimes I cry for those I'll never meet. Sometimes I cry and cry myself to see sleep. Sometimes I cannot tell you any of the reasons why, but sometimes I just feel I have to cry. And I remember this line uh, for a kitten no longer mine. I had picked out a kitten and bef um, at my uncle's house, and when I wanted to get my kitten, I found out a dog had gotten to the kittens and she was gone. So that one, that one hurt. I was going to name her Catherine the Great. Another um, greeting card picture there. And this next poem, I know where it comes from. When we were learning the um, parts of a dysfunctional family in something in school, we had the champion, the, older, the old, oldest child, the baby, the youngest, and in the middle was the forgotten one. And I was the second of six, but it was really like two sets of kids because there was a secure gap between me and the next sister. And so it became champion, forgotten one, champion, forgotten, forgotten. Well, no, champion, forgotten, only boy. So he had kind of like his own place <laughs> and the baby. 
So this story is about the forgotten one, because I felt like I was the forgotten one. The forgotten one is looked upon, but she is seldom seen. Sitting alone, she cries as tears stream from her eyes, not knowing what they really mean. She creates a world apart, hidden within the heart, that no one else can see. In the confines of home, she needs to roam and wants only to be free. Her feelings she hides, for she rarely confides and is seemingly content. She tries to gain that special love and to be taken notice of, but it is effort futilely spent. Approval is so greatly needed, but her achievements go unheeded, widening the pit of loneliness. Trying to be good, that she's either misunderstood or no one seems to notice. Away from home, the turmoil ends with many people to call friends, friends to call her own. But at home she has not any, and in a house of many, the forgotten one lives alone. Sent away by a wave of a hand, not a request, but a command, spoken without a single word. A tear rolls down her cheek, not given a chance to speak. The forgotten one is seldom heard. When she needs someone, being forgotten, she finds no one. Only the falling rain. On the outside looking in, when will there be good times again? The only answer a dulling pain. At times we all have gotten a feeling of being forgotten, wanting some reward long overdue. Have you ever cried as your feelings collide? Are you forgotten too? There's a lot of things from my childhood in that one. Sent away by the wave of a hand, not a request but a command. My mother would do that. Her hand would go up and that was done. It was over. You couldn't, um, you couldn't speak. You couldn't go on. And then approval. So greatly needed. Achievements go unheeded. I once held on to my grade card for two weeks to see if my mom would ask me for it. All the other kids had grade cards. She never did. At two weeks I gave up and showed her. And the reason was because she expected mine to be good, so. God, but sometimes even the good kids need to hear that, you know? So if you got kids that you are constantly <laughs> knowing, ah, they're going to do great, they're, they're always getting A's, let them know you appreciate that, please. Don't let them be forgotten. All right. The next picture was a postcard from Arizona, I believe. So it's the reds, and it's got the red sky, red and white, uh, red and yellow sky, and the silhouettes of these cacti and the ground all in black. And the poem here is Sun Magic, and it was, it's got 1986 written on it, so still in my teenage years. Sun Magic. Sometime in your life, you'll hear someone say, all the world's a stage. Well, I believe it today. Because I saw the angels rising for their fiery show, and they danced across the morning as the horizon began to glow. And a thousand more angels came to dance with the first few. They came to greet the morning and start the day anew. More and more came, and they danced across the sky, and the morning breeze accompanied them with music like a sigh. And some would dance upon a lake with beautifully sparkling, sparkled wings, and sprinkle a little magic as only angels could bring. They performed for me dancing across the sky, but the show didn't stop there. They kept dancing by. They danced in a rainbow of colors at the very end of the day, and with silvery wings spread magic as they danced with the sun's last ray. And the encore came as the curtain came down. A shooting star fell silently to the ground. Don't be sad if you've missed the show. Look east tomorrow morning as the sky begins to glow. They'll dance for you, too, as they danced today for me. Go out and watch the angels go by. It's a wonderful sight to see. And I found a typo in that one, too. But <laughs> I'm not a morning person, though. I don't know. <laughs> the very few times I've actually seen the, the uh, sunrise. <laughs> All right. The next picture is not a greeting card. It is from my own imagination and I tried to imagine some mountains and some trees and even a little squirrel on a log and it just doesn't have that real look even with different colors and all that stuff. Um, yeah, my imagination just doesn't help as much. And I'm, you might have gotten that I believe in God and angels and all that. So yes, I am a Christian. And this one, probably written, it says approximately 1984. And there's actually two on this page. And the other ones, it says approximately 1986. 
The first one is God's creations. In six days God created the earth, life, death, and even birth. He created all the trees whose leaves flow in the breeze, rainbows, sunshine, clouds, and rain, good, bad, happiness, and pain. He created plants and flowers and grass, days and nights that come to pass, and everybody's dreams. He created the sky of blue, the early morning dew, all the swamps and all the bogs, fish, snakes, and even frogs. He created hamsters, gerbils, and mice, fire, wind, and ice, raccoons, squirrels, and bats, horses, cows, dogs, and cats. He created land, air, and sea, and even you and me, the brilliant sun of gold, and all creatures weak and bold. He created birds such as the dove, but best of all, he created love, and on the seventh day, he rested. So in 84... I was not even in high school, so that one is really quite young, because I started high school in 1986, and that's where Dreamscape comes in. Often in my dreams I see a place, although it seems as though I've never been there, rolling hills and a creek that spills into a small pond, lots of trees moving in the breeze in my dreamscape, birds fly in a clear blue sky above a meadow filled with daisies. Where little creatures hide, I'd like to reside in my dreamscape. Because that's a very short one. And the next picture is a pencil drawing from my memory. And it's actually better than the um, marker stuff. But anyway. <laughs> the cold hand of winter. And that is a winter scene. It has like a split rail fence and it has snow on it, there's snow on the ground, a uh, deciduous tree, all right? So, the cold hand of winter. He reaches out to me a hand to feel but not to see. He makes the sun turn cold, forever present, always bold. He causes only suffering and pain, shedding the trees and freezing the rain. Days of warmth are long gone. He has taken them away. He has turned the world dark and shortened the day. He has taken the bird that sings and the happiness its song brings. As I walk alone, he's all around, as cold as stone. And this one says 1989, maybe? It's really hard to see. Very light pencil. <laughs> and then I've got some pictures from postcards of Washington, D.C. that I recreated. And St. Louis. And this one's interesting because I have a picture of Kansas City um, from a postcard. And it's all in oranges and blacks and browns, which is really cool. And then I have the back of an envelope. And the front, it says, open carefully, see back. And it's from me to my mom and family. And on the back of it. I recreated a postcard of Krakow, and it is in the same with the, the oranges and reds and the, the brown and the black um, silhouette. So the Kansas City one, it's the river and then the Kansas City in the sky. So this is here, it's got some kind of lake or something and Krakow's um, castle and the, the sky. And in the water is a whole bunch of geese. So. <laughs> I did that on the back of an envelope and sent it to America when I lived in the Czech Republic. And my mom kept it and gave it back to me. And then I have some of my earliest um, tries with the... Uh, this one is the same picture done three times. In pencil, it's a sailboat with some mountains in the backyard, background. Some water, obviously, because there's a sailboat in the sky. And then I did it in pen, different colored pens, ink pens. And then I did it with the lines, with the markers. Again, better when you stand back. And then I have a picture, again, of the same thing. It's an island with a, a coconut tree. But I lost it, and so I recreated it. And then I found it, and so I have it back. And that same Christmas time that I was working at um, Kmart and drew my hand... I drew a house <laughs> with, looks like Santa going across the moon there. And I drew a heart with some bells in it that says, Joyeux Noel. <laughs> so I was, you'd think it'd be crazy busy at 
Christmas time at Kmart, but not where I was. <laughs> and this one is in is a picture in progress. Um, obviously, I don't work on it very often because I started it years ago. And it is a tough one because um, it has a lot of these uh, colors that I wouldn't have put together or I have to put them together. If you see the card, which I have in here, I've done the Native American woman and the horse and the water, and I've started on the land on the other side of the water, but then there's these mountains, and they're just in one color beside another color beside another beside another, and that's going to be a little tricky. And I just, you know, have to get in the mood to do it, which happens, I don't know, every decade or so. <laughs> it's been a long, long time, and I haven't done it yet. Well, I think we could probably get to some of the newer poems because I think I'm out of poems at this point. I'm probably out of pictures. Yep. So, there was a time. Oh, let me tell you about college first. So, I did do a, a minor in creative writing during college and I had to take a poetry class. And my teacher would not let me rhyme. <laughs> if you notice all those poems when I was a kid, rhymed. I can't find rhythm really in poems that don't rhyme and that's going to be a little tricky when I read these poems, the next poems to you. Um, she wouldn't let me rhyme and so I got to the point where I actually just wrote paragraphs, broke the lines in funny places and turned it in as a poem. She really liked the one about how my grandmother made the best orange Kool-Aid and literally I wrote a paragraph and broke the lines funny. But alas, I got through the poetry class, <laughs> despite despite her. And she was, she told me at the end of the class that I was kind of closed-minded. And I was like, yeah, you wouldn't let me rhyme. Who's closed-minded? Some poetry does rhyme. A lot of poetry rhymes. <laughs> Shakespeare rhymed, <laughs> you know. Telling somebody you can't write poetry that rhymes? That just seems wrong. Um, but there was this other time in my life where I got very stressed. Some major stressors in my life happened either at the same time or one after the other. And during that time, which I call the mega stress, I started, um, you know, I, my brain changed. Um, I couldn't concentrate like I could before. I um, I just had issues. I wasn't I wasn't the same. I had holes in my memory. I call it unpredictable Swiss cheese. One of my professors, after the end of class, praised me for like a while about my incredible memory. And now I had unpredictable Swiss cheese, meaning if it landed in a hole, it was gone. But I couldn't tell what was going to land on cheese and what was going to land in a hole. So some things, they're stuck in there. They landed on the cheese. They're in there. But some things are absolutely in the hole. Um, I went to a reunion of my campus ministry down in um, where I went to college. And one of my friends, Adam Beck, I was, got, I was looking through a photo album. And he was pointing out this picture where some people were standing around a microphone. He goes, do you remember singing the national anthem for the basketball game? And I had no memory of it. And I'm in the picture around that microphone, but no memory of it. Swiss cheese, I'm telling you. Okay. So, the first one was... Oh yeah, I haven't just said what. The first poem God ever gave me, I was at a retreat and a you know, Bible study retreat, you know, campus ministry retreat. It actually wasn't out, out of D.C., so it wasn't campus ministry with my church and like youth group and, you know, we church retreat. And we had a guest speaker and she was up speaking and we were all, you know, listening. And then she had us go into a time of prayer and I just felt like... I have to turn over my paper and start writing over the back. God was giving me a poem, and he was really meaning me to write it. 
And then worse than that, he wanted me to get up in front of everybody and read it. And I never felt like that before. It was, well, it, no one time I had. I felt like I was supposed to lay hands on somebody. So we called her up and said, you know, Gabrielle feels like she's supposed to lay hands on you. So we did. She suffered from headaches and it helped her for a little while, I think. But anyway, so I'm at this retreat. Everybody's praying and I'm like writing the poem. I wrote the poem and it's personal stuff. And it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> and I feel like I'm supposed to read it in front of everybody. It was terrifying. Terrifying. So I very meekly walk up to this speaker and interrupt her praying. And I'm like, God told me to write this. And I think he's telling me I have to read it in front of everybody. And she looked at me and she said, my church has been praying for revival in the arts just like this. And she stopped everybody, and she had them listen to me. I couldn't stand up straight. I had to sit, kind of lean on a on a um, bar stool, because it was terrifying. But I wrote this poem, and this is exactly how I wrote it. So I might edit it and change this one section that's longer, but no, this is exactly what got written on the back of that. Um, of that program, we are we're a place called Table Rock, and we'd actually climbed up some rocks. This comes in toward the end, and there was this place where this it is kind of like a table, and some of the people were going in front of the table, you know. And I was like, I can't, I feel like I'm being pulled over, so I just stayed safe behind the table. I couldn't let go of that rock. That comes into play. I label, I named this confession. And later, you know, we might change the name to something in the edit, but this is what it was on that paper. Confession by Gabrielle Lawson. I am selfish. I want to be noticed to have the light shining on me, but not so brightly that all my faults show through. I am impatient. I want peace so much that I work too hard for it and rob myself. I am covetous. I want what others have, but I am afraid to claim it when you give it freely. I am arrogant. I think too much of myself, and too, I think too little of the woman you made me to be. I am hesitant. I am comfortable in my sorrow, comfortable in my pain. I am comfortable in my neutrality, comfortable with what I know, especially when it is good. I am afraid of the unknown. I am a of being bold enough to fulfill it when it is you who fulfill it through me. I am sinful, too easily dissuaded, too easily distracted. I turn my eyes from where they should be on you. Lord, I am broken, but I don't want to be fixed. I hurt, and I want others to know my pain, but I don't want to be healed enough to let you do it. I am untrusting. I know in my head that you are trustworthy. But my heart hangs back, holds the ledge, afraid to let go. And man, that was personal. <laughs> but what I found afterwards, people coming up to me and said, I heard myself in that. And then I wasn't so scared to read it anymore. God made me write it on the back of the, of the program. God told me to go up and read it. And he touched people with it. And that's amazing. But you didn't, did you notice it didn't rhyme? Not a bit of it rhymed. And that's all, in one way I know that God made me write that poem. <laughs> I call these my God poems. Because, yeah, I rhyme. It's kind of the difference between the, the pictures where I write with, drew with my imagination and the ones where I drew off of looking at something like the back of a, or, or the front of a, a greeting card or a postcard or my own hand. <laughs> the quality is, is so much better. I feel like the ones that rhyme that came before, they're not bad poems. For a child, for a teenager, but they don't have power. And some of these God poems have power. 
I don't remember the order necessarily that they all came in after that. But, um, so this one is called Convicted. It's very short. And this one has to do with my father, who was an alcoholic. And to varying degrees, molested his daughters. Convicted. I don't feel any stigma. My father doesn't touch me. His alcoholism did the work, scarred my family, changed the way I grew, cut the ties. My dad is no reflection of me. I fall or fly, I fly or fall by my own wings. It's been years since I've seen him, longer still since I saw him sober, longer still a man with life. He eventually died of it. Um, a neighbor who kept checking on him eventually took him to the doctor and they found like most of his brain was gone. And he ended up kind of not even remembering us when we'd go visit. He ended up kind of just unresponsive in a hospital till he died. He looked like he was well over 70 and he was just shy of 55, I think. Alcohol <laughs> is not a, I'm not a fan. But at, by any any means, and that's probably why right there. Um, epiphany. So, I was at a Bible study called "Too Busy Not to Pray" because I felt too busy to pray. Remember, I had my brain changed. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't do quiet times anymore. I couldn't do my own Bible study because that was concentration, and I couldn't do it. Um, so I went to this Bible study hoping it would help. And then one time I got this epiphany and that's why it's called epiphany. And I wrote on the back of the program again, the things in the margin matter, but the poem is here and the poem, God made me write it exactly the way it is. So the lines break where he wanted them broken. You calm the storm and I am safe in your arms. When I can't see you, you leave a wake for me to follow. When I can't speak still, you stand behind me. When life swirls around me, you are a center of peace. I need only fall into your arms. When I am lost, you still find me. And around the margins is the epiphany. You are doing something in me. Maybe it's for me only. Maybe it will help others. But I know you are doing something. You are letting me be weak that I might see you better. And that has an exclamation point. That was the epiphany. I was always asking you know, God to give me my old brain back. This one's just a loner. <laughs> That's what I would actually say, kind of make a joke about it. And mega stress had changed my brain. And I'd say... I want my old brain back. This one's just a loner. But he wasn't giving me my own brain back. But what I realized that night when I wrote that, you are letting me be weak so that I can see you better. When I had my old brain, I was self-sufficient. I could take care of myself. Everything, you know, I was great grades in school. I got my degree. I was in the honors. Um, I was... Uh, yeah, I was summa cum laude in the Honors College. I was in the top six of my high school, four valedictorians, so I was either fifth or sixth. <laughs> um, but that's that's me. Remember the professor who who praised my amazing memory. But since the mega stress, I could see with hindsight so much clearer where God was moving in my life because I couldn't be self-sufficient. I could see him before I couldn't see him. And now I could see him. I could see what he was doing. And suddenly I didn't want my old brain back. This was kind of amazing because in our weakness, he is strong. So, that was the epiphany. You are letting me be weak that I might see you better. That was an amazing time right there. 
This next one is called Tightrope, and it feel I really feel like it's only a fragment. Um, but again, it doesn't rhyme, and I feel like it's something that God was trying to tell me, but I never quite got a whole poem out of it. I'm walking a tightrope, and there's a chasm on either side. And I'm past the halfway point now, too tired to keep going, but too determined to go back. The way is delicate, and I must mind my feet. I cannot rush nor be rushed, but you keep me moving forward. See, it's only like half a poem. I have a couple like that. Um, Wallflower. This came after a youth Bible study I was in, and they were talking about the woman who had been bleeding for, I believe it was five years, and she thought, if I can just touch Jesus' cloak, I'll be healed. And she managed to wake her, work her way in the crowd and reach out and touch his cloak. And he felt it, <laughs> turned around, and, and he healed her. And this poem came to me. I have been a wallflower for far too long, afraid I'm not good enough, not strong enough, not bold enough, not enough. But you are seeking me, lost in the crowd. I don't have to be good enough. You are. I don't have to be strong enough. You are. I don't have to be bold enough. You are. I am enough because you are more. I have been a wallflower for far too long. I like that one also because it's the only one I can recite from memory. <laughs> Short. And just to show the difference between what is a God poem and what is not, I was in a Bible study that you know, had us going through the elements and are we fire, are we water, are we, you know, whatever and whatever. And I felt like God was having me you know, write a poem, but first I started writing a poem. It turned out to be my poem, not his. So this first one is called Elements. And I wrote it, and then he said, no, that's not my poem. Elements by Gabrielle Lawson. Sometimes he is fire burning the bush, alighting our chaff, forging, purifying, lighting the way. Sometimes he is wind, a force destroying, a cooling breeze, driving, whispering, fanning the flame. Sometimes he is earth, a strong foundation, a, narrowing pa a narrow path, nourishing, supporting, renewed by the flame. Sometimes he is water, calming the waves, drowning our sins, flooding, preserving, never drowning the flame. See, he told me that sometimes he is fire, and I thought this is the poem he wanted me to write. But I wrote it, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's telling me that's not it. So I wrote his poem. And this one is kind of, you got to see it visually. Um, each stanza is four lines, but the fourth line is indented. Again, sometimes he gives me the form, and I have to follow the form. <laughs> That's why Epiphany broke after, you know, um, you calm the storm and I break, am safe in your arms. When I can't see you, comma, you break, leave a wake for me to follow. That's the way he wanted it. Um, so this is how this is. Three lines, and then the fourth is indented. Three lines, the fourth is indented. Three lines, the fourth is indented. And the third line is always the same. But this is his poem. And I think you'll see the difference is one is much more powerful than the other. Sometimes he is fire. He can be a gentle wind, a still small voice, but sometimes he is fire, the burning bush that was not consumed. He can be a soothing hand, a guiding light, but sometimes he is fire, a pillar to hold back Pharaoh's army. He can be a soft shoulder, a caring father, but sometimes he is fire, a blaze to lead them through the wilderness. He can be a warm counselor, a patient teacher, but sometimes he is fire, cleansing the temple of money changers and thieves. He can be peace in suffering, a loving sacrifice. But sometimes he is fire. The ground shook and the veil was torn. And I realized what he was saying here. I was kind of feeling like I was fire in that that Bible study. And I didn't want to be fire because it just like, felt like a fire pushes people away. And... And he was doing a lot of talking to me around this time, too. <laughs> uh, 
And I remember going in my car one time and going, Lord, I'm broken. Why are you using me? And I, then I just started laughing and like, oh, everybody you ever used in the Bible was broken. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, he wanted me to say this, that sometimes he was fire. He can be all those things, those gentle, helpful things. But sometimes he was power, fire. And that's amazing. And he wanted me to show it. He wanted me to see it, but I think he wants other people to see it too. And each one of the fourth lines are examples when he was fire. The burning bush that was not consumed. A pillar to hold back Pharaoh's army. A blaze to lead them through the wilderness. Cleansing the temple of money changers and thieves. And the ground shook and the veil was torn. There was an earthquake that broke the temple and the veil was torn to the Holy of Holies. That's power. Because sometimes he has fire. So you see, this elements, while it didn't rhyme, it's not a bad poem. But it doesn't have the power that sometimes he as fire has. Um, just so you don't think I'm some kind of kook, God doesn't talk to me anymore. He hasn't given me any more poems, really. I could look through my list here. I don't think I have any others. No, not really. So, there are times when he did. Um, I feel like it's a phase in my life when he did. And the first thing he ever said to me was really kind of cool. <laughs> I had been talking to my stepfather the night before. I had a jalopy of a car, and I needed to find another car. And I'm like, why would I want to take out a five-year five loan on a car? Who knows where you'll be in five years? I'm, I need to, you know, buy another $500, $600 car like I did before the jalopy. <laughs> and he says to me, not, Lo, Gabrielle, thou shalt. No, none of that. The words I got were, step up, Gabrielle, take out a loan and buy a reliable car. And I said, okay, but not a $10,000 car, maybe a $3,000 car? Because when you know it's from God, <laughs> you're like, yeah, that throws away all your arguments. But I tried to bargain. I ended up in a $10,000 $10, car. I bought it from a dealership that had a high interest, found out I had like $10 left in an account back in Maryland. And I got a loan through them for a much, much lower interest rate. <laughs> I went back to that dealer and said, you can toss that one. I got this loan instead. And I feel like God gave me that car. I remember going to a dealer a while later where they really wanted me to sell them their car, that car and put me in another one. <coughs> and it was the, the salesman who was sweating, trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to find a way to entice me to give up this car that I felt God gave me. And I was not sweating at all. <laughs> it was the only time it was like turned around at a dealership. I wasn't sweating. They tried. They did not get me out of that car. <laughs> it lasted a while. Um, another time was when my sister who'd been living with me and the relationship went south when she still owed me about $930 because she hadn't paid her part of the rent and the utilities and all that. And I was never going to get it from her, but still I needed that money, right? That's a lot of money. So God said, you can't give it to her. I get that. So give it to me. And I was like, Wow. So what that meant was that my sister who owed me $930, I gave that IOU to God. My sister owes $930 to God. And that's between her and him. It's not my business whether she ever pays it. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. He has that IOU from her now. And it's between her and him. And I just let that 930 go.
Because when you hear God speak and you know it's God, it's real easy to have faith. It's the ones that you think maybe you hear and you're not sure it's from God. Maybe it's just from your addled brain. Those are a little harder. But these others that were clear like that, it was amazing. And I wish I could say I have that, you know, constant com- contra- uh, communication with God now that is just, <laughs> that every, you know, like I, you know, I haven't heard his voice in a long time. The last time I really heard him was when I was seeing my husband, dating my husband, and I wasn't sure he was my husband. And I kind of felt him kind of nudge me to to know something, like the poems. He didn't, I didn't hear his voice when I heard the poems. I felt nudging. I felt him pulling, you know, pushing in me something, but not the voice. When I was trying to like, you know, is he my hu- is he my husband or is he not? I got these, you know, and he was kind of telling me, you've got all the pieces, put them together. <laughs> and when I put them together, the answer was yes. And I married him. And we've been married for 16 years. So that was the last time I really felt that clear of a nudging from God. And I haven't heard his voice for a long time, and I miss it. Because it was incredible, and it is so easy to have faith when you know it's him. I had no problem giving him that $930 IOU. (laughs) I even wrote my sister a certified letter saying that God told me to give that to him. So you, you know, I gave him your IOU for $930 between you and him. And I sent it certified mail to make sure she got it. So I know she saw that. Whatever she did with it, it's not my thing. But (laughs) it is. Faith is a hard thing sometimes. Faith is believing without seeing, right? It's harder in hard times when you don't have his voice. When you have his voice, it's just like, and when you know it, you know it's not your adult brain talking, you, if you know it's God, it's just like, oh, okay. It's easy to believe. So yeah, I miss it. There's been times in my life since that are incredibly hard. I even went through a thing I called the giga stress. Remember the mega stress changed my brain? The giga stress had to do with my family. About the time that that sister owed me the $930, I became aphasic. And for those of you who don't know, I actually learned what aphasia was through a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode. But it's when you can't form the right words. You can't put them together or, you, you know, you can't read. You can't say the word. Um, I went for some tests. They scanned my brain with a CAT scan, found a partially deviated nasal septum. That didn't explain it. And the guy who was going to give me um, an aphasia test, oh, they did a sleep study too. And I had to collect my urine for 24 hours just to make sure I wasn't being poisoned by heavy metals. But he was going to do a, he talked for me to me for a while before doing the aphasia test. And he says, I'm not going to do it. Because you're so high-functioning, you're going to come up normal, even though you are aphasic. I remember one time getting a postcard on my porch. I'm looking at it, and I cannot make out the word. And it was a dream of mine. It was publication, but I could not make out the word. There were times that I would read paragraphs, and maybe the words went by, but my brain didn't hold on to them, didn't come and comprehend them, or sometimes I just couldn't make out the words in the paragraph. I couldn't spell Bashir, Dr. Julian Bashir, and I'd been writing stories about him since 1996, and I couldn't spell it. That is major stress damage to your brain, by the way. If you suddenly become aphasic, 
So for about a year, I couldn't read or write well because I was running into aphasia all the time. Sometimes I would have to, I was working as a help desk technician. Sometimes I would have to ask my supervisor to read a paragraph to me. Like something came in in an email and I'm like, I can't, I can't read it. And she would have to read it to me. And when she read it out, I could hear it and I could understand it, but I could not read it in text. It was scary. Somebody who likes to write and read and you know, words matter. That was a scary, scary time. And about a year, it kind of went away. But I do get aphasic every once in a while now. And I'll try to pronounce a word and be unable to get it out. Even a common word. Or um, I'll just... In fifth grade, I was voted by my, our substitute teacher gave us all like little, you know, affirmations. And mine said, best girl speller. I could spell Czechoslovakia in the third grade in refrigerator transportation. I remember that I liked, you know, those big long words. I could spell them in the third grade. And I will question spellings. But not nearly as often, not to the extent I had during that one year. So, just occasional aphasic spells now. Um, so, there you are. And then I had probably the greatest stress in my life over a period of years that hasn't really, um, it gave me PTSD, yes, <laughs> again, but it didn't affect my brain in those ways, which was kind of amazing. Maybe I, my brain already took all the damage it can take from stress, <laughs> and it can't do it anymore. But... I think sometimes that I don't write like I used to before the mega or the giga stress. If you go back to um, Faith Trilogy was written during the mega stress. Over three years, the mega stress happened during that time. So I wonder if there's a big difference between Faith 1 and Faith 2 and Faith 3 in the writing. I used to write much bigger chapters. And then I wrote, I write shorter chapters now. In some ways it's good. We all grow in our writing. So we all grow and we all change. But I worried that my style, my voice had changed. My craft had dropped in quality. I worried about that because my brain had changed. Like what brain do I have now? I have a recovered brain that still has unpredictable Swiss cheese. <laughs> it still has aphasic moments now and then. But all told, I'm still very intelligent and yeah, I can still write. So now you have all my poems all in one episode <laughs> from when I was a child to these God ones, you got a little preaching along the way. I get a little sermony, but um, I know not everyone out there believes the same way I do. So I'll leave that in this episode, or yeah, this episode for the most part. And if you feel you want to skip it, that's fine. Don't think you're going to get sermons every episode going forward. Okay, that won't be the case. All right. Well, I should probably sign off and uh, figure out what else I'm going to do for the rest of this season and hopefully get over this COVID. All right, you can at me on Mastodon, whatever your server is, at Inhildi, I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I, or you can email me at Inhildi at gmail.com, I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, tell me what you thought of the, especially the two poems, the elements, and the sometimes he is fired. Do you, do you see the difference or do you hear the difference in those two? I think they're a good illustration of, you know, when I'm doing too much and when I let God do his thing. I just had to pop back in before I sign out to say, I got deciduous and coniferous mixed up. So, evergreen trees, palm trees, or no, not pine, 
pine trees and such, like you have Christmas trees. Those are the ones in the drawings that I said were deciduous. They're actually coniferous. So, yeah, I do know the difference. I just got mixed up during the entire podcast. All right. See you later.